our scriptures again from 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you're called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." These words, submission, subjection, servanthood, what do those words, those concepts mean to you personally? Submission, subjection, and servanthood. Are they concepts that are now relevant and valid within your life, within your circumstances? Or are they part of a philosophy of a bygone era. Concepts no longer to be embraced within your life and especially to be embraced in our modern culture. Submission, subjection, and servanthood. The sad reality is that those are very excellent concepts and philosophies given to us by God Himself for the betterment and the blessing of our souls but have now over time faded in their importance to us, almost to the point of being non-existent, even within the hearts of those of us who truly profess to be Christians. I pondered, when did those excellent concepts that form the very foundation of humble, godly character, when did they become so passe? When did they become so old-fashioned and and unacceptable to the pride-ridden souls of men and women today? And I recall that it really began in the first days of life, back there in the garden, the Garden of Eden. And it was intertwined, that temptation was intertwined within those specially chosen words of Satan when he so cleverly tempted Eve to want to be more than she was. To cast off the burdens of subjection and to rise above her lowly position before God, to want to separate herself out from submission to God, and to want instead to become like Him in His glory. That was what Satan's temptation was, for her to become like Him, but only in in His glory. Very subtle sin involved in that. But that, of course, as we've been able to see all these years, was just a miserably failed effort on her part. From that day until now, men and women have never ceased to want to try to 
do that same thing, to try that same failed effort, to want to separate themselves out from any and every authority above them and to exert themselves to cast off all of their bindings to emancipate themselves from the authority that's above them. And even to the extent of exerting themselves above anyone and everyone that they know. It's something that foments within our hearts and minds. So then from Adam and Eve to the street protests throughout our nation and world, it seems that no man or woman is content to be under subjection to any other creature, and especially to God. We are truly a crooked and perverse and rebellious generation. And I cannot imagine why God permits us to continue in our wretched ways. Let's look again at our scripture passage. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Unfortunately, in our vernacular of today, even the word servant carries with it the connotation of a lowliness, even worthlessness. And many of the masters over time have contributed to a low perception of the value and the position of their servants. Regarding servants and treating them as being lowly and insignificant. And then from the servants that mistreatment has provoked within them a similar disdain and disrespect back towards their masters. Bringing us to where we are today in our relationship with our masters, our employers. Our masters often do things, run their businesses in ways that show that they, to some degree at least, despise their servants. And then the servants often show that they despise their employers, their masters. And especially when you have union, the union type of existence within the workplace, there is no harmony between the masters and the servants. And they all live and work together daily within a difficult an uncomfortable and distrustful relationship. Now hearing these words from our Lord, God does not address these exhortations to the masters. He does that in other portions of Scripture. But here He reserves His instruction for the servants, for the employees, those who most suffer under a master's repressive treatment. In our modern day cultures... There are still some remnants of actual servants similar to these spoken about here. But for the most part, our today's servants are, as I've been saying, most often in the form of employees with the masters being in the form of the employer. So for the message today, in the context of these scriptures, we'll consider ourselves who are the employees as being servants and our employers as being the masters. And here, as servants, we're told that we must be submissive to our masters 
with all fear. Fear. The English Standard Version renders that word fear as respect instead of fear. Saying, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Now both of those are very proper interpretations. However, the Greek word that's used here is phobos. Phobos. It's the same word from which we get the word phobia. And as you know, a phobia is an underlying, an ongoing form of actual fear, even dread. So then, our instruction from the Lord is twofold. We must not only have and show respect to those in authority over us, holding them in high esteem, but we should also have an ongoing measure of actual fear. And note that we're told to be submissive to those masters with all fear, not only to the ones who are good and gentle, but to those who are also harsh. We don't like that. But that's what we're being told here. I pondered the last 40 years of my employment. I essentially had four bosses during those 40 years. And all four of them were relatively good and gentle towards me. And I counted each of them as being my personal friend as well as being my boss. But I always knew that they were my boss. I always knew, though they were my friend, and I would play golf with them. I would visit with them in their home. I would have meals with them. But I always knew that they were my boss. And I held each of them then somewhat at an arm's length. Knowing that if I were not able to do a good job, or if I did not remain respectful towards them, that I could lose my job. And rightfully so. In the context of employment, fear and respect most always needs to go hand in hand. If an adversarial relationship develops between a servant and his master, between the employee and the employer, then the goodness and the gentleness spoken about here quickly gets lost, leaving only harsh feelings and sometimes mistreatment. In our modern employment circumstances, if our master becomes too harsh towards us, we servants most often simply leave and find more pleasing masters. But here in our passage, God is taking into consideration that there might often be times when our employment options are limited. And that's so especially in rural towns like we live in here. Our employment options are often limited. And he's instructing us here to have the same respect. Listen, he's saying that we need to have the same respect and fear towards an unkind employer as we would have towards one that is good and gentle. And that we should do the same excellent work for a harsh employer as we would for a good and gentle one. Now may I say that again? We should do the same excellent work for a harsh employer as we would for a good and gentle one. And no, our employers today are not allowed to actually beat us as the example that's given here in our scripture text. But they sure can and do beat up on us emotionally by making our daily work experience miserable. That often happens in our places of employment. 
But God is instructing us here to remain faithful and to do a good job regardless of the way we're being treated. And here God tells us the reason why we are to remain faithful in our behavior and do an excellent job for that harsh employer. It's because our behavior towards our employer has a direct correlation to our relationship with Him, with God. Have you ever connected those two in your employment? That we should do a good job for our employer because that which we do for our employer, we're doing for God? Here we are being told that there is a direct correlation between the two. One of my memory verses from Colossians 3 reminds me of that. Listen to these words. Colossians 3, verse 23, 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, listen, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Folks, these words cannot be any clearer. And there are many, many other references within these scriptures that say much the same. We cannot, we must not separate out our allegiances as we so often do within our workplaces. As these words tell us here, that which we do for our employer, we are doing directly for the Lord. It is ever and always the Lord Christ whom we serve. That's an uncomfortable message. And we most often don't want to receive that, especially if we don't have a kind employer. But it's the truth. And it's straight from the Lord, and you and I need to live by it. Here in these words, God gives us some specific instruction regarding our personal behavior. First of all, He tells us that we should never, or He insinuates at least, that we should never show bad behavior that would merit mistreatment from our employer. If we do, and in some way we're punished, then be that as it may, if we are demoted or even fired, we probably then deserve that treatment. And we need to go ahead and live with that. If we have done something to deserve it. But here God's telling us that even when we are doing a good job, and we're showing godly respect and fear towards our employer, we may still get mistreated. And it's then that good behavior and good response will be commendable before God, pleasing God. Simply put, listen, simply put, you and I need to trust that God really is working in all of the situations that are taking place in our life. That He is intermingling His Holy Spirit with all that's taking place. And while it may not look so good on the surface, if we please God in our behavior towards our bosses, then He, then God, will surely look out for our welfare. I can recall an occasion of quite long duration, by the way, when I really was having a difficult time with my employer. He and I differed greatly in our philosophies about management. But let me say to you clearly, I was the one at fault. I was the one at fault in that I was not showing proper and godly fear and respect towards Him. And I experienced some miserable working conditions. But rightfully so. Rightfully so. Thankfully, at one point, at some point in that process, 
God brought the realization to my heart that I needed to let my boss be the one in authority and to quit always trying to work around him. And with that realization in my heart, I repented and I started behaving rightly. And with my repentance and the change in my behavior, God started me on to the road of a far more pleasant employment experience. Again, note here that God gives us this very clear instruction regarding our need to elevate our responses and behaviors to the level on which they should rightly be held. And that is that everything that we do for that employer, we are doing for the person of Christ. That then relates back to what I just got through saying about how we really do need to be careful in the way that we respond to our employer because that same response is going towards Christ himself. Our verses again. Verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So then, why is it so very important that we have Christ at the forefront of every thought and behavior and especially as it regards the subject we're talking about here today, our workplace, our bosses, our masters. Why is it so important? It's because from the first moment that you and I gave our hearts to Christ and salvation, everything changed within us. We became whole new people. As the scriptures tell us, the old has gone and the new has come. And our attitudes, listen, our attitudes and our behaviors must follow along with that change. Fruit needs to grow within us and then show itself in our thoughts and then outwardly in our behaviors. And please understand, God knows every one of our thoughts long before those thoughts come up to our tongue. Nothing is hidden from Him with whom we have to do. Let me read those scriptures for you. Psalm 139. He knows every thought that you and I are thinking as we are getting ready to go to work in the morning and we are despising that supervisor of ours. Listen. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Listen, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You not only know what I'm thinking, you know why I'm thinking it. You know those thoughts all together. You know the motives within my heart as I think those thoughts. And then in Hebrews 4, verse 13, we read, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And we will give an account 
for those thoughts that we let be entertained too long within our minds. So then, as we read in this passage today, the Lord Jesus has given you and me the exact right example of the responses and behaviors that we're to show. And we're without excuse because God's penetrating and probing Holy Spirit reaches into our hearts and our minds and He discerns our thoughts and the intents of our hearts and our behaviors and also our misbehaviors. Those words again. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now simply put, While the Lord Jesus walked among us, every thought, every attitude, and every behavior was absolutely holy and righteous. And He requires that same holiness and righteousness of you and me. Now our first thought when someone says that sort of thing to us is to say, Oh, I can't be holy. I can't be righteous. I can't be perfect. Because only God is perfect. No, that's not so. He tells us in Matthew 5, 48, He says, Be perfect. Talking to you and me. Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And then He tells us in 1 Peter 1, and we studied this just some weeks back, But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So he really does expect the same responses from you and me that we read here in these scriptures that we're studying today. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But he went ahead and accepted the suffering. So then, tomorrow, as you go about your day in your workplace, what kind of an employee, what kind of servant will you be? What kind of attitude will you have and show to your master, to your supervisor, to your boss? Think about this for a moment before we close. If you work in a business office, you may be sitting around a break room table. Or you may be standing at a water fountain. Or if you work in another type of business, you may be leaning over the hood of your pickup truck. But what is the conversation that you will hear taking place from your fellow workers? Is it complaining and backbiting? Is that the normal conversation that you hear in your workplace? Complaining and backbiting. Do you join in with their conversation? Remember the words from James 3 that we studied in an earlier message. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Our tongues can just kind of get caught up in the conversation, agreeing with whoever it is we're talking to. But God is calling 
you and me to a higher standard. To no longer be like and blend in with all those other complainers and backbiters, becoming like them in their sin. Even in the worst of times when we are suffering unjustly within our workplace, our mind is to be like that of Christ Jesus. If we show the same humility that the Lord Jesus showed when He was reviled and mistreated, then God will surely lift us up and exalt us in our times of suffering. We may have to suffer for a little while, but He's looking out for us. You and I need to respond rightly. You and I need to rise to a different standard. Let me read these as we close. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray.